Um, I always be careful on how I word this, but let's, uh, let's give a round of applause to the Lord for the gifts that he has entrusted in these men that they have faithfully stewarded so well in leading us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It truly is a joy. Um, also, we'd be amiss if we didn't take this opportunity to also thank uh, a whole number of host homes, uh, volunteers, co-hosts, transportation people, food people all over the place. Uh, we have had an amazing weekend here, and it is only because of your hospitality and generosity as the church has come together. So thank you for everybody who served. And, uh, and also kind of fun, uh, and especially fun for me, uh, is, is to get to, not, we didn't get to do this first service because he was still uh, filling in and taking over things, and uh, uh, it has been an amazing thing to get to come and to be here and do this weekend with these students, but then also to do so um, under the uh, excitement and passion and renewed energy and joy of uh, my, my partner in crime this weekend for sure, um, John Sturrock, our very own new student minister. You're a man of God, and it is truly a joy to get to serve alongside of you. Uh, it was beautiful to watch him lead uh, these students and to uh, provide so much and just be thrown into the fire. Week one, start a new job, move, don't sleep for a week. <laughs> like, congratulations, welcome to South Spring. Um, that's kind of how we go and do things. And uh, I, never, I never do understand why we choose the, uh, uh, the, some of the most tired people uh, who have been sleepless to try to then stand up here and present something that even sounds like communication. Uh, but that is, bear with me, that is what I will attempt this morning. Uh, but we do have to play quite a bit of catch up because our students have been moving through a process. And for everybody who's not wearing a, a, a teal shirt with us this morning, maybe like, we're you're going to have to kind of catch up and jump into the conversation a bit late uh, because we have been uh, starting with the whole theme of the weekend was um, what it looks like to be a fool for Christ. Um, these are the very words of the Apostle Paul as he's speaking to the Corinthian church that he considers himself a fool and all of the disciples a fool for the sake of Christ. It's not in their own strength or their boastings that they have been proud or made strong. No, 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 no. It is the great paradoxes that the foolish uh, are used to shame the wise, that God chooses the weak to show his strength. Uh, that the first shall be last. These are all things that seem countercultural, um, that seem maybe counterintuitive to us at times, but that is exactly the focus that we looked at over the weekend, is what does it look like to be so bought in, so unashamedly following the Lord in his calling and path that we, to the rest of the world, when they look in, say, that, that doesn't look normal. That looks kind of foolish. But yet, that's life. That's life abundant. So tell me about that. And that was a lot of our aims. Now, we did this specifically in our sessions by kind of getting glimpses out of Peter's life. Um, Peter, again, who we've talked about, who uh, I find myself a kindred spirit in Peter. Um, Peter's personality comes from a rough fisherman background as we had made our introduction on the very first night to him. He is a very impulsive responder. Uh, he is the kind who kind of has the combination of speaking before thinking or acting before thinking. Uh, it seems like 90% of the time when we read through the Gospels and Jesus addresses all the disciples, who's the first to speak up? Peter. He's the first one to respond or first one to do. Uh, and we saw that uh, uh, even in the very beginning, even in his calling, because that's how we started the weekend out, by looking at Luke chapter 5 and considering the moment when Jesus is, is now starting to begin his ministry, he begins to kind of teach the crowds and he's getting pressed down onto the sea. And so he looks over to some fishermen. He asks them to take him out into the boat. He teaches the crowd and, uh, and then he turns to our friend Simon, Simon Peter, he turns to him uh, and he tells him the, uh, the, the classic phrase, well, why don't you toss your nets onto the other side? And, you know, and, 
Peter, in that moment, being that rough, gruff fisherman, uh, probably not wanting to take fishing instructions from this just clean-cut rabbi who surely doesn't know what he's talking about, uh, sarcastically or even angrily or whatever it is, replies back to Jesus, oh, oh, master, surely, surely you, we've been fishing all night, but surely you know what uh, is good and what is right, and I'll, I'll, I'll obey and I'll cast my nets out. I kind of think to prove you wrong, but I'll show you. And he throws his nets out. And then he reaches over to the boat and he pulls down upon them and he feels that tug of they're full, so full that he can't even haul them in himself, right? Students, he had to get the other boat to come in. This was a miracle. Jesus creates this miracle to show up into the scene, to grab their attention and say, don't miss this. What's next is really important. He shows up with this miraculous event with the, with the fish into the nets. And Peter responds rightly. He sees that miraculous thing and he says, Lord, I am nothing. I am a sinner. Depart from me. I think Peter realizes that in that moment, he has nothing to bring to the equation, nothing to offer up to the Lord. And what does the Lord do? He doesn't say, no, 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 you're not that bad. No, 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 it's all all right. You're sitting, you're not really as bad as a person as you think. No, 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 the Lord says, yeah, you're right. You are a sinner, and you should depart from me. But come, come and follow me. This was the gracious gift and the calling of our Lord, saying, come follow me. Because what Peter realizes in that moment is he's got nothing, and Jesus is willing to accept that. And say, come, follow me anyways. We carried that over into uh, the second night by taking up another glimpse of Peter continuing to walk through and continue to be a disciple and to follow Christ and listen to his teachings and, and uh, be surrounded in his ministry. And in uh, some of those moments, we continue to see Peter being uh, incredibly impetuous, incredibly always speaking up, being very impulsive. Uh, And we see him sometimes getting it really, really right, and sometimes we see him get it really, really wrong. And that's what we looked at. Remember the students, a conversation of risk and reward, right? For all of the investors in here, we understand this. When you take a high risk, you oftentimes get an even higher, greater reward when it works out. But sometimes you take that high risk, and if it's not founded in the right thing, you get a really big loss. And that's what we looked at last night as one instance where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he tells them uh, by asking them a question, he's kind of prodding them and he's asking them, you know, softball saying question, who who do people say that I am? You've been with me all this time, but who do others say that I am? And they answer with very safe, very safe responses. Oh, you're a prophet. Oh, you're Elijah. Some say these things. Those are very safe answers. Then Jesus looks and he says to these guys, the guys who've been following him and knowing him, who do you say that I am. That's when Peter speaks up. I don't know, again, because he's just always the one to speak, but he speaks up with a great and brilliant truth. He says, Lord, you're the son of God, the Messiah, who's come to save, right? Makes this huge, bold statement, claiming that Jesus was the son of God, a risky, risky thing. Because if he was wrong, he's put all his chips in. If he's wrong, that's blasphemy. What happens to a blasphemous person in the Jewish culture? That's right, put to death. Puts all his chips in, very, very risky. But it was the right bet. Because what Peter was again realizing in his life is I have nothing here and you have everything and I'm acknowledging you in this process. And that proclamation is what Jesus uses to rename Simon to Peter, giving him his new name, Petros, Peter, in which he says he'll build his church upon. But then last night we transitioned that conversation from one where Peter got it really right when he went into a high-risk one and got a huge reward. So then we transitioned into where he, he really risked a lot, 
but he hedged the bet differently. And he made an emphasis about himself. It was when Jesus was gathered again and teaching his disciples, and more importantly, he was trying to get them to understand the concept of uh, loving one another as he has loved them. And that was going to be foundational to how they were going to carry out the kingdom. And in that, in that kind of whole little dialogue, he makes this like almost a side moment in the very beginning where he says, you know, because uh, I will go where you can't follow me. But more importantly, when I'm gone, you need to love one another as I have loved you. And Peter doesn't even get to the main section of that. He gets caught up in the first part and he come back, comes back at Jesus and says, what do you mean you're going to go where I can't follow? I mean, I'll follow you anywhere. But Jesus says again, no, 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 Peter, I'm going to go. Somewhere where you can't follow me. And then Peter's like, oh, I don't know again. As he's like, oh, silly Jesus. I'll show you. Or maybe that fisherman came out in him again, and he's like, you know what? You're telling me again something else I can do? I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going I'm to cast my net out. I'm going to pull them up. They're going to be empty. I don't know what it is. But he replies back to Jesus, and he says, no, 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 Lord. I will follow you all the way even to death. If you go to death, I will go there too. I'm all in in this thing. But the problem is, is Peter made that crucial error. Then he made it about himself and what he could bring into that equation by correcting the Lord. And that risk didn't play out so well and Jesus predicted, no, actually, Peter, you won't. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And then what happened, students? Jesus was right. Big surprise, right? Then we have this sad, sad story and we walked through, where Peter, not just once, not just twice, but three times, denies the Lord. Denies that he's a follower of him. I think that that crushes Peter. I think that that breaks his heart. And what we did is we used that opportunity to talk about something, a, a phrase that's not original, but one that is super helpful. And we taught it to the students. And we're going to finish that phrase today. But for those who didn't hear it last night, we've got to help them and remind them. Because again, in that moment, when we realized that Peter was broken, that he wasn't getting it right, that he was messed up, we, we reminded ourselves of that phrase of it's okay to not be okay, right? And I think it's helpful for us to repeat that in our minds again. So it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. Exactly. This is one of the great misnomers, I feel like, of the American church. And even the dangers, even in this building when we gather together. That sometimes we, again, just like Peter, think we offer something to the equation. And then in thinking that we have to bolster ourselves up, that we have to be perfect and have all these things all put together in our own strength. Then, then when we show up into this place and we realize that we have messes in our lives, when we realize that we are broken, and then we want to put on the facade. Then we want to come in with smiling faces. Then we want to not, not maybe get to know too close the people around us. Because only if they knew, only if they knew how I was this, only if they knew how I'm struggling with this right now, what would they think of me? Maybe like Peter in this moment, thinking like, oh, they'll just send me away. And that's a lie. Because that's based upon our performance. It's not what we see in Scripture. We see in scripture that it's okay to not be okay. Of course, God, who comes in in the moment and performs this miracle and calls this sinner who acknowledges he's a sinner and says, follow me anyways. And his great work of offering redemption in redeeming in our past and redeeming now and for one day ultimately redeeming us all to perfection. Of course, in that process, he's inviting us along and he's gonna expect us to mess it up. He wouldn't have called sinners if he didn't expect us to mess it up. 
but he does. And yeah, we should grieve over our sin. And yeah, we should, we should confess and share that sin. But we shouldn't hide it. We shouldn't sweep it under the rug. We shouldn't just lie under the facade in our faces that everything's going good and swimmingly all the time. Now, that's one of the gifts that the local church is. It's one of the gifts that you guys have been experiencing all weekend long, getting to share with your peers and talk. Hey, I don't have this together. I'm really a wreck. Man, isn't it sweet that we know who can fix this? Isn't it sweet who can put it right? Yeah, remind me of that truth and let's do that together. And that's where we're going to be transitioning because I think again, and now what we're going to be picking up in John uh, chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up and turn, or turn them on. Navigate over to John chapter 21. We're going to be picking up into a conversation that Jesus re-enters back into Peter's life. And I think he teaches him uh, in this moment, he, he, he completes the phrase because we started with half the phrase. It's okay to not be okay. But I think what hopefully we get this morning is that it's not okay to stay that way. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way because this is the great call of what Jesus has to offer. So what has happened since kind of uh, last time? Um, Peter's denied Christ. Christ is taken. He is crucified. He raises the third day. He begins appearing to the disciples. But yet in this moment, I think, I think where we pick up into this story, we should still be remembering and putting ourselves in Peter's shoes. We should be feeling crushed. We should be feeling disheartened. I think Peter did not believe it was okay to not be okay. I think Peter was thinking he was just going to stay that way. My guess is that Peter was waiting for Jesus to show up and to say, like, all right, guys, I'm back. All those things that I was telling you about this that you didn't understand, now you do understand them. Now I'm back to life. Now we can get on to the mission at hand. But hang on, guys. Before we do this, I need to have a quick conversation. Hey, where's Peter? Oh, there you are, Peter. Hey, Peter, come on up. Hey, hey Peter, you know, it's been swell. But this is kind of the big boy game now. This is the big leagues. And you know what? You didn't cut it. You denied me. I, t- I even told you you were going to deny me, and you did. So why don't you, why don't you go on home? I think Peter in this moment is waiting, is just waiting for his go-home moment. We don't know that for sure, but what is interesting in Scripture is we have Jesus, again, this isn't the first time he's reappeared after his resurrection, but we had him reappear to all the disciples less Thomas, and then all the disciples plus Thomas. Uh, And in both of those instances, what does Peter say? How does he respond to Jesus? Trick question. He doesn't. And when does Peter ever not talk? (laughs) When does Peter ever not speak up and jump into it? I think he's not speaking up because I think he's ashamed. I think he's dismayed. I think he's ready to be sent home. So Jesus comes back and he gives him a moment. And then we have this beautiful story where again, yet again, we're going to see a miracle offered up into this guy to say and beg, come and follow me. So let's look down in John chapter 21, looking in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathan of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. What do you, uh, for all the fishermen in the room, what do you do when you um, don't know what to do or don't have anything to do? You go fishing. Maybe that's what Peter's doing is he's like, they're standing around and he's like, we got some time on our hands. Why don't we go fish? I don't know. 
Uh, maybe it's even a more, a more uh, an allusion to even something a greater circumstance because what did, what did Jesus ultimately call Peter after the end and is deciding to follow him? He said, come and be fishers of men. And maybe Peter's saying, you know what, I'm, I didn't, I've messed it up. I can't be a fisher of men anymore. I gotta go back to the real fishing. I don't know. You read into that as we see fit, but scripture's not abundantly clear, but what we do know is that we do know that they go fishing. And they go out into the boat and they start fishing and they catch what? Nada. Nothing. Nothing at all. I wonder, I just wonder if at some point that they're just halfway through the night, not catching it, throwing out their nets, pulling them up, not catching it. You know, as one of the disciples, I imagine probably John, we'll get to that in a minute, it's always stating what we need to hear. One of them prosing out the question, when did we fish all night and not catch anything? This is, this is calling, our, calling our memory into this story. We know when they fished all night and didn't catch anything. It's when Jesus called them. I don't know if like halfway through, like the sun's starting to rise or something, and they're on the edge of the boat, like looking ashore, like, is this real? Is this going to happen? Is he going to be there? I don't know. We don't get that recorded here, but what we do get is uh, picking up in verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Again, here we are. This is a reminiscence. We know this story. It's playing out again. Jesus is creating a whole nother miracle. Setting up again like he did the first time. Don't miss it. Something good is about to come. And he's setting up this entire miracle, maybe perhaps exclusively for Peter here in this moment. Because he's saying again, don't miss it. This is going to be important. A miraculous thing is yet the God of the universe steps to control his creation yet again to prove a point. And too many fish to haul in. So verse 7, that, the, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards off. The disciple whom Jesus loved here is John, uh, and, uh, and again, he, he states in the beginning um, what, we, what I'm sure all of them realize at this moment. The moment they go down and realize how much fish it is, I'm imagining they're not missing the miracle here, and they're clearly putting together, that guy was the Lord. But John, captain of the obvious, states out, it's the Lord. Yes, thank you, John. We got that, but I know it's still good. It's recorded in the scripture. I need to hear that from John so many times when he just needs to state the obvious thing to me. Um, so Peter, in his impetuousness, gets so excited that he puts on his clothes, then jumps into the water uh, to swim ashore. Um, we, don't, we, we don't pick back up within like, him swimming ashore and starting a conversation with Jesus. So I don't know if he like, jumps in and starts swimming, and yet the boat's like, laughing at him and just going right alongside, and they arrive at the same time. I don't know. Uh, but whatever it is, they do arrive in verse 9. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? 
they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to disciples after he was raised from the dead. So they clearly realize it's the Lord and they rush ashore and then they, Jesus is setting up this fire and then Peter's pulling in the net and for some reason there's 153 fish in there. I don't know why we get that detail in scripture or in some theories or I'm just like, that's one of those, save it for heaven. Why do you tell us there's 153 fish? What's important about that? Um, I said that the first service and then was caught afterwards and uh, uh, said that this may in fact be the only truthful account of a fishing story ever recorded in history. Because what do fishermen do? They come back if they've caught 153. We caught like 200 of them and they were this big, right? Maybe this is the only truthful one, I don't know, but uh, I found that amusing all the same. But then they start a conversation. They're around breakfast as Jesus is cooking for them. Look down in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The beautiful conversation that we have recorded between Jesus and Peter. Jesus set up this entire miracle, recreating his first calling. At the moment that Peter thinks that he is worthless, that he thinks it's, it's not okay to be okay, and he just wants to stay that way, Jesus comes in here and says, no, 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 no. Let me recreate this whole experience for you. Grab your attention once again into it, hearkening back to the original call to tell you, you know, it is okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. Come and follow me. The problem is, Peter, you've made it about yourself again. Don't make it about yourself. Make it entirely about me. You know, and a lot is given into this conversation about uh, the three times. Why does Jesus ask him this question three times? And of course, uh, and, and probably very rightly, this is maybe a beautiful offering or extension of Jesus, because Peter has denied him three times, and maybe Jesus is now giving them the chance to claim him three times. And what a great and restorative conversation that that is. But it's also so much more beautiful of a conversation, so much more deeper. Because in our English version of the Bible, we use just one word uh, here for love. But in the Greek text, there's actually two words that are being used here, agape and philos. Now, we do this a lot in a lot of different things, and it's very, very natural. If I got up here and I said, I love Dr. Pepper, but then I also claimed, I love my wife, hopefully you put together the context clues that I mean that love very differently. You're not going to see me in the corner over there making out with a can of Dr. Pepper, right? <laughs> like, I mean different things when I say love. We use, this, we use love to be a spectrum of, of a lot of stuff. Well, in Greek, they had different words along that spectrum to help communicate more clearly. So the two words that are being used here, the first word is agape. And this is the one that we're maybe perhaps more familiar with. This is the all-consuming, unconditional, unfathomable love 
used to describe how God loves us. Agape love. The second word for love here is philos. And what philos means is more of a brotherly love. And we probably know this even in context clues, even if we didn't realize it. Um, but philos, Delphi, Delphi meaning city, Philadelphia. What is Philadelphia? The city of brotherly love. It's a brotherly love. It is a, I'm fond of you. I really like you. We're in this together. We're, we're chums. We're pals. We're brothers. We're not agape. It's not all unconditional. It's not all the way up there. It's kind of down here. Um, we can do this. I'm really, really fond of you. I really like you. The conversation played out using kind of those words spells it out a little bit differently. Jesus starts off and says, Simon, do you love me with all that you have? Do you agape me? That's Jesus' first question. Simon, do you agape me? What Peter says is probably, no, I'm really fond of you. Because his answer is actually, yes, I philos you. Do you agape me? I philos you. Jesus says, okay, feed my lambs. Second question, Simon, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally with all that you are? Peter's answer second time, no. I like you a whole lot, but I don't agape you. She says, okay, care for my sheep. Then the third time, Simon, do you philos me? Will you be my friend? I think this is actually what disheartens Peter. I think this is what grieves him the most. It's because Jesus is changing the terms. Jesus is the one who's changing the question and saying, Simon, do you just love me like a brother? And I think Peter recognizes this switch and it hurts him and he has to say, yes. Lord, that's all I can give is philos love. And Jesus says, that's good enough. I'll take that. Because one day, you may think in this moment you've lost it all. You may think that you have messed it up. You may think that I'm not powerful enough to put right the wrongness and the sinfulness in your life to be able to follow me correctly. You may think that and believe that right now, but I'm here to tell you I'm bigger than that. I can put it right. I can even use you, Peter, who denies me three times, who all you think you can give is fill us love. I will welcome that love and I will take your efforts because I can perform a great work even in you and continue to use you for my purposes. And we know that as recorded even of how he gives over in his life in death to the Lord. Traditionally, church history teaches us that Peter was crucified upside down because he did not want to die in the same manner worthy of uh, the death of his Savior. Now, that is tradition. We don't know that for fact. But what we do know is that ultimately, ultimately, when Peter says, I'm all in, it's Jesus the one who accepts that gift and brings him to that state. I think what is beautiful in this, in this moment is when Peter, who is thinking he is broken, who's thinking that he is messed up, thinking that he has nothing to offer the occasion, to the occasion, Jesus once again performs this miracle to remind him, that's the state I want you in. Because then you're dependent upon me. That's what it is to look desperately and live on me. Look, Peter, it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. Come and follow me. That's the beauty of the gospel. 
is that yet once again, when we were in a hopeful state, hopeless state, not being able to provide for ourselves, and we had sin in our lives that separated us from a righteous God, and there was nothing that we could do to bridge that gap. Our gracious God, who is personal and loving, came down and said, you know what, even, even in your hopelessness, I am the hope. And he had to give of himself, paid the price that we owed so that he could prove that that price meant nothing and he was perfect so that he could raise again and offer life, life abundant to anybody who confesses and wants to follow. So where are we this morning? You know, as the, as the band's gonna be making their way back up and uh, closing us in a, in a final song, I want you to ask yourself that question. Where are we in this story? Are we still believing the lies that this is about what we can perform and give to God? I mean, you need to understand that that is nothing but a lie and give that over. Are we also maybe in this story thinking that, uh, you know what, I really am messed up and I'm just hiding all that, sweeping it under the carpet and I need to start being real. I need to start being authentic about it. Um, maybe that's in this next little moment how you're gonna need to do business with God. Maybe it's that you have professed Christ, uh, but you know you need to respond in baptism. Or maybe it is that you know you need a church family and you've had the conversation uh, and you wanna come and be family with this messed up family and do this together. Whatever it is that you need to decide, this is the time that I'm gonna invite you to stand, sing, come forward and pray, and respond to the Lord as you see fit.